You may have a seat. Welcome again to the Capitol Church. A couple of exciting things to mention here on the front end. First, is it not nice to have the screen back? First time in what feels like forever. We didn't need the TVs. We've got a pretty big visual for you. Um, so it's still, if you have a need for eye doctors, we still have them around. Um, but hopefully it's not a, a great as an issue here. Uh, second thing is somewhere around you uh, is an invite card to a new series we're starting next week called Gaining Ground. Uh, a couple things I want to say about that. If you're anything like me, um, the summer is one of the best times of the year for, for many people. But it's also one of the times that it's easy to get out of normal rhythm. And the summer can be a time uh, where you're just kind of surviving spiritually. And, and if that's you, like it is me, um, the next series that's going to take us all of June is designed to help us have a profitable summer and maybe even set ourselves up for a profitable life spiritually moving into the future. Okay, so that's where we're going, gaining ground starting next week and for the month of June. Uh, even have some exciting people coming in to preach to us and for us, which is, which is going to be incredible. I, I don't know when the summer feels like it officially starts for you. For those of you who are students, that's a, maybe a little clearer uh, timeline, but often it feels like once Memorial Day hits, uh, from then on it becomes summer. And I've been looking forward to this summer for a while, mostly because my family's now at a life stage uh, where I have a two-year-old boy who's now at a life stage where it feels like we can do things in the summer that's actually fun. Last summer, uh, too much of a baby, doesn't recognize any change in schedule. Now he wants to be outside all the time. And so now I feel like, man, the summer, we've got some exciting things planned. Uh, we've got a sprinkler, which is going to be insane. I've got a, a water bottle. The other day, it felt, it felt super warm. And I was sitting outside, he was running around and started to get pretty rosy cheeked. And so I've just got my water bottle and I'm just, you know, hosing him down. And so we started, you know, playing that game, which was super fun. A lot of fun things in the summer. Uh, but what's unique about the life stage we're at in our family and as parents is I feel like I say no to Brooks, our two-year-old, constantly. I feel like I'm constantly saying, hey, don't do that. Get away from there. You know, leave your four-month-old sister alone. She's not ready to wrestle. Don't hit her with your golf club. It's like always this like limiting things. And, and often I can see in him when I feel like I'm constantly saying, no, stop, don't do that, do this thing instead, that he looks at me in like confusion and disappointment of like, why are you being so unreasonable and limiting? That's how I feel. I even, I even said to Shaylin, my wife, recently, like, I feel like I say no to him constantly and I don't want to say no to him. But it feels like everything I say is like I'm limiting him from fun in his own mind. Like, what do you mean I can't stand on a rocking chair? Why are you being so unreasonable as a parent? And I feel like often how we approach the commands of God is similar to that. Like, why are you being so unreasonable? Why are you being so limiting? Why can't you just let me do the things that I want? Why can't you just let me lead myself into life? And, and here's why I say that, because where we're going here this morning is what Jesus would call the most important command that he's ever given. In fact, he doesn't even stop there. He says everything that he said in his life up to this point all hinges on the few sentences he's going to give us here in Matthew. 
The problem is that many of us view the commands of God as limiting. And so I've said it before, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again, because I need to remind myself of it, and I think I need to remind us of it. The commands of God in the Bible are always a calling into something better. They're always a calling into something better. This is the creator of our souls leading us into what we need leading us to protect us from that which will harm us, leading us into what brings life to our soul. And so full surrender, full surrender to the commands of God does not just come with loss in a way that it feels like that. It also actually comes with massive and unmatchable gains. The commands of God are always a calling into something better. And what Jesus is going to do for us is he's going he's to bring some really important, like this is huge, what he's about to say. But if you don't believe the commands of God or a calling into something better, what you're going to find is the Bible and following Jesus and Christianity and pursuing spiritual health to be limiting and frustrating and annoying because you always feel like somebody's there watching over you and calling you away from what seems fun at the moment. So if you have a Bible, this is a great time to grab it and turn to Matthew 22. If you feel like you've turned to Matthew a whole lot since we launched this church in August, I understand. And, and trust me on this, next week we're not even going to be in Matthew. So uh, you can be excited about that. Uh, where Jesus is at right now is he's in a pretty lengthy conversation with a group of people called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They are the most religious elite with all kinds of authority in the religious world at this time. If you were here last week, this is the subject of who Jesus was talking to about hypocrisy. They don't have a great relationship with Jesus. In fact, what they think Jesus is doing is he's disrupting and overturning the spiritual power and authority that they had over the crowds. And now with the introduction of Jesus, he's talking about new things. He's talking about a kingdom of God and a relationship that pulls authority and power from those in religious uh, power at the time. And they don't like that. In fact, they're going to do everything they can to get Jesus out of the picture so the crowds will come back under the authority and power that they have. This, this group will actually be the one that's going to put him up on the cross eventually. He's surrounded by crowds of people, and then you insert these Sadducees and Pharisees, and what they're constantly doing is trying to get the crowds to follow Jesus less and turn back to the old system. Like, just submit to what we say. Get into a religious system by earning and buying the favor and blessing of God. And so any opportunity they have to try and diminish the crowds in front of Jesus, to call into question maybe who he is and the things that he says and the direction that he's leading, if they can get the crowds away from Jesus and back into their system, that will be helpful to them. And so they try any and every tactic to make that happen. Often in these crowds, they like to ask Jesus questions or make statements to put Jesus in a particular place that they think is going to be confusing or troublesome to the people listening to him. So they'll ask him questions to try and trap him. They'll ask him questions to try and get him to say answers. They don't think the crowd's going to like to hear. The problem is that Jesus, every time with wisdom and authority, answers these questions in a way that only adds to the followers, doesn't diminish. For whatever reason, 
They try one last time to get him to say something that's gonna hurt his following, not help his following. He's in this type of conversation and this is where we're gonna pick it up in verse 34 of Matthew 22. Here's what it says, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. This is the end of a lengthy conversation. And and here's what they say, verse 35. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, they think when they ask Jesus this, it's going to be a pretty tricky answer. Because they've been around Jesus enough to know that he says a lot of things about a lot of things. And so if you could get Jesus to maybe boil something down, he could maybe contradict himself. He could categorize things. They could ask follow-up questions. I feel this way just about every time somebody asks me what my favorite thing about Shaylin is my wife. I feel like it's a trick question because the times I've answered it with like, I just love who she is. I love like spending time with her and I love talking to her. Then the follow-up is like, you, you don't think she looks good? And it's like, no, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not saying that. And then the times I answer that question with like, what do you love most about her? It's like, she looks good. Then the follow-up's like, well, you don't like who she is? Like looks fade, man, gravity wins eventually. It's like, no, no, this is the game the Pharisees are trying to play here with Jesus. Let me ask him a question so that we can follow up and create confusion and get people on all kinds of different pages so that they'll leave Jesus. The problem is this has never worked out for them. Here's how Jesus responds in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. This is the greatest commandment, he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus takes this opportunity with a question designed to trick him and trap him. He takes the opportunity to actually really help the people around him by clarifying and categorizing and simplifying what it looks like to be healthy spiritually. Simply put, what Jesus is saying is everything boils down to two commandments, love God and love people. Everything I've said could be categorized simply in love God and love people. So that there's like a vertical aspect to spiritual health but there's also a horizontal aspect to spiritual health. Like there's a me and God relationship that plays into you being healthy spiritually, but there's also a love for other people that plays into being healthy spiritually. Now we're we're in a series right now called Real Problems, Real Solutions. And I think one of the greatest problems we have for those who call ourselves spiritual or followers of Jesus or Christians is a lack of purpose. And here's what I mean. I think it's easy to just exist in relationships, just exist in our jobs, just exist as a follower of Jesus, just exist spiritually. There's a, a concept that was created by a lawyer, New York Times bestselling author, a guy named Bob Goff that he calls Plus 10. The idea and the concept that he created is he, he goes all around the world and he trains people and even leaders of massive businesses and organizations with this concept of plus 10. 
What he tries to get people to do is find daily purpose so that they can wake up and push the ball forward. Like, where do you want to be? This is the plus 10 concept. Wherever you're at now, add 10 years to your life and define what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your marriage or your relationships to look like? What kind of relationship with your kids do you want? Where do you want to be in the health and fitness world? Where do you want to be spiritually? Define this plus 10. Where do you want to be? What do you want to look like? Who do you want to be? And then once they can get that down on the ground, he then backtracks and figures out, okay, what do you need to do today? What do you need to do today to push that ball forward so that in 10 years, you're who you want to be? What Jesus is up to right now, the end goal he's talking about to be spiritually healthy, two things have to be true. You have to love God and you have to love people. That's the plus 10. That's where you need to be to be spiritually healthy. And so we, what we need to do is we need to start backtracking that to figure out, okay, if that's true down the line, if what Jesus says is true, I wanna be spiritually healthy. It means I need a thriving, growing, loving relationship with God and I need a thriving, growing, loving relationship with other people. And what am I supposed to do today? What is the purpose that I'm missing? How do I win today? Because what's interesting about the language that Jesus gives is it's all action, outward-facing language. None of us drift towards a love for God. None of us drift towards a love for people. This is active. This is motion. This has to be thought through and put into action. A love God and a love for people. And, and what I, what I want to do for us is try and land this on the ground to give us purpose every single day in both of these categories. And so let, let's take the first one. Jesus says to be spiritually healthy, you have to love God. Now, what can be tricky about both of these commands is the word love can be super general and hard to define. Uh, I just spent two days this week back in uh, what I would call up to this point, my hometown, the town I grew up in, Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. I lived 17 years of my life there. And when I moved, I moved to Ames, Iowa, and realized very quickly the palette is wildly different in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, and Ames, Iowa. The things that I absolutely loved to eat didn't really exist in Ames, Iowa. And the people there that grew up there, they loved things I could like absolutely leave. Like a take or leave, I'm leaving it. And so for the last like four or five years, I have like craved some Clark Summit, Pennsylvania food. And, and I would tell you, if, if you've been close to me, you've heard me say, I love hot wing hoagies and I love Nina's wing bites. I had the opportunity on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, I was in town for an event and it was like on my way in, five pounds of Nina's wing bites. On my way out, hot wing hoagie. I, I, I was with Kyle, we bought three hot wing hoagies. Like, I don't know if we can eat all that. And I'm like, maybe not but I'm certainly gonna try because I don't have access to this anymore. Now, I would say to you, I love wing bites. I love hot wing hoagies. I also love Ohio State. I also love my family. And I could say all those types of things and it'd be hard for you to really categorize. Like he means different things, right? I love Nina's wing bites. I also love my wife. I, those aren't equal, but I'm using the same language. And so how can we land this? What does it actually look like to love God? Not some like 
mental assent to the fact that like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I love God. Like, how do we put this on the ground? The first box to check in loving God would be to know God, to know the God you are supposed to be loving. And this is true of every relationship we have. I can't actively love my family if I spend no time with them. I can't actively love my family if I, if I have no idea what they like and what they dislike and what's going on in their world and how they feel about that and what they're thinking about all of the things in life. I can't actively love my family and make my life about knowing everybody else. The problem is, if I don't actively pursue a knowledge of the God I'm supposed to be loving, then all the love I have for God is all for a God that I've made up myself. I, I have to know the God Jesus is calling me to love. And the path towards a knowledge of God will lead us to a place, I think, where you're going to find out some pretty sweet-tasting things. If you know anything about my story, uh, a pursuit of knowledge of God and loving God better was not something I was all that interested in for most of my life. But I can tell you, the second I started to investigate who is this God and what does that mean for me, I'll tell you some of the sweet tasting things I found. I found out how God actually feels about me. I found out what he thinks about me. I found out what he knew about me and what he knows about me, which can be incredibly incriminating, yet to follow up his knowledge, compelled by love, what he did for me. To know God actually leads you to a place to want to love him more. The pursuit to know God. You have to know him to love him, but it doesn't stop there. To love God, I have to know what he's like and the things he says for sure, but it would be short in love to just be somebody who worked hard to possess knowledge about somebody I'm supposed to love. I could tell you from conversations this spring, uh, Shaylin really wants to go to a park that she's found that she's taken Brooks and Annie to. She really wants us to go there as a family. And nobody would accuse me of being a loving husband and a father to just say, like, got it. Thank you for that information. I know you want to go to the park as a family. This is me loving you by saying I heard you. It's now in my mind. I can mentally assent to the fact that that's what you want. Nobody would say, oh, man, what a loving husband and father. There has to be action. I can't just know the God that I'm called to love. There has to be some type of follow-up. And according to Jesus, here's what he says in John 14, 15. When, when talking about taking the step beyond knowledge, he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's not just knowledge, it's also following that up with obedience. Now, now I, I want to say this because I think it's possible that, that all of us can come in here with some like obedience baggage. And what I mean by that is you may have had parents or you may have had some type of leader in the workplace or in other places uh, that, that demanded obedience from you and, and you never felt like that obedience was actually best for you. Like, like maybe you've been in some type of relationship where the demand of obedience was to make the leader's life better, not yours. And so I understand we, we can walk in here 
with some life experience that can cloud what is actually happening here in our relationship with God. And so for Jesus to say, like, you, you've got to know the God that you're called to love. And secondly, to love him is to obey him. We can say, like, hold on a second. Now, I already walk in here with some baggage, but something we've talked about over and over in this church is obedience to God is actually you stepping into the flourishing life. Like allowing God to rightfully sit on the throne of your life is what's best for you. So obedience at times, like, like in my relationship with Brooks, it looks like you're pulling me from the fun of standing on this table and it feels limiting. I can't wait for the day when I can actually like have a conversation with Brooks to just explain some of the reasoning behind why I want him to obey. And understand, even when he understands that, it's going to be a hard sell at times. But for us to understand, like, let me leave obedience baggage out of my relationship with God and say, this is a completely different thing. When he is calling me towards obedience, he's calling me towards a flourishing life. This is what's best for me, not just what's best for him. Saying yes to the commands of God leads me and my soul into the flourishing life. This is what it looks like to obey God, to know him and to obey him so that we can love him. The creator of your soul will lead you into the delight of your soul if you actually let him sit on the throne of your life. Release the baggage of obedience and authority and just allow God to rightfully sit on the throne and lead you to what's best for you. Know him and obey him. This is the pathway to love him, and this gives us purpose every day. Like, if you are compelled to be healthy spiritually, then do what you need to do today to know God better and learn to stumble forward in obedience to him. Like, if you actually wanna be healthy spiritually, now you actually have, like, how do I push that ball here today? And this is likely gonna be measured in months and years, not days and weeks, and, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, maybe you're this person or you've met this person uh, that, that like wants to get into a healthier place, wants to get more fit, and so they eat a bite of romaine, wash it down with an apple, you know, four hours on the cardio machine, and then they look in the mirror at the end of the day and they say, this doesn't work. Like clearly I'm the exact same person that started this day, yet I did all of these types of things, and somebody would step in there and be like, Let, let's measure this in weeks, in months, in years, not just day to day. It's often, even in the fitness world, or even when you're reading and trying to expand your knowledge, that it's really hard to measure in day to day moments. I feel this with our kids. I, I see my kids, obviously, every single day. They look no different to me today than they did yesterday. Yet when somebody leaves and hasn't seen him in a while and comes back, they say things to us like, it is insane how much Brooks has grown. And it's like, really? Because he looks exactly the same to me. I couldn't even take you to a markable difference from the day he was born till right now at two years old. Because I've seen him every day. I'm just used to it. But there's massive growth that has taken place. If we could zoom out and say, man, I, I just want to win today. I want to know God better, just a little bit more today. And I want to obey him imperfectly a little bit more today. You're going to have discouraging days where you don't feel like you're making progress. And I would say, let's zoom out. 
Measure this in months, in years, not days, in weeks. Don't get discouraged. Just give yourself to the process. This is what it looks like to love God as Jesus calls us to, to step into spiritual health. This is not all that Jesus says. He follows it up with a second commandment. This is part one, commandment one from Jesus, but he continues with one more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reread that section so we grab it again. Verse 37, Jesus replied to the question, what is the greatest command? Here's what he says, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Here's what Jesus says. Love God, and secondly, love people. Which means that you cannot be healthy spiritually just with a you and God vertical relationship. There is a horizontal relationship with you and other people that is necessary for you to be spiritually healthy. I think it's possible as a follower of Jesus or for somebody that calls yourself a Christian to get mixed up and confused that you're spiritually healthy when you just feel that way with your vertical relationship with God, completely divorcing your relationship to being a lover of people. Jesus right here doesn't allow us to separate those things. For you to be healthy spiritually, you have to be a lover of people or you're confused and you have a blind spot and he doesn't want that for us. We are naturally bent towards making every decision throughout our day in a way that's best for us. We don't have to convince ourselves to love ourselves. I'm constantly thinking through my life and through my day, what's best for me? What do I want to do? What can lead me into life? What can lead me into a better place? And so Jesus understands that and he uses that as a standard. Like you're a lover of yourself. Let that be the standard by which you love other people. What will you do for yourself? That's the standard of what you should do for somebody else. How do you treat yourself? That should be the standard by how you treat other people. This is what it looks like to love other people. Like, is your life about the good of the people around you or is it just about your good? Do you want the life that you're currently living or the life that you desire? Do you want that life for people who don't look like you or talk like you or believe what you believe? Is it important to you that you're making the lives of the people around you better? Do you treat people when you're frustrated the way you want them to treat you? Do you respond to people the way you want to be responded to? Do you serve the people that you want in the way that you want to be served? Is your neighborhood better because you're there? Is your workplace better because you're there? Do you bring life and vitality to everybody around you? If not, then you have some work to do to become spiritually healthy, to not just be a lover of God, but a lover of people, the ones around you. Love people like you love yourself, and this gives you purpose every day. Open your eyes to the people around you and love them as much as you love you. And for you, this is gonna have to be like an active push because you're never gonna drift here. You're gonna always drift into what's best for you, what you want. What makes you happy? It's gonna take some work to create moments 
that you step out of that selfish mentality to say, what's best for the person close to me and the person around me? How do I love them? How do I provide for them? Maybe for you, it's like sending a text message to somebody that you wish was saying that same thing to you. Maybe it's serving somebody in a way that you wish you were being served. To actually evaluate and be honest with the things you want to receive in a given day and make your life about extending those to other people. Maybe even giving it to other people that don't have an opportunity to give back. To just be a lover of people, no conditions, no paybacks. I just want to love and provide and bring life and vitality to the human beings around me. This is what it looks like to love people. And so let me be clear because I don't want us to miss this. You can't have a healthy relationship vertically if you do not have a healthy love for people horizontally. Jesus does not give us the opportunity to separate those. Like, like I'm healthy spiritually, but I'm not really a lover of people. It can't be said. We cannot separate our relationship vertically outside of a relationship horizontally. And, and I can't help but talk about this and, and also think of Jesus. Like fortunately, the one who's giving us this command is pretty familiar of what it looks like to have knowledge that leads him to actually do something about it. Like for Jesus to possess knowledge about all of us in the room of what's actually true of us, what's actually true of our lives, what's actually true of the mistakes that we've made and doesn't allow love to just, man, just have him understand that knowledge. But he was actually somebody who possessed knowledge of our brokenness and compelled by love, decided to step in and do something about it. He loved, which now gives us a pathway to love. I love because he once loved me. Jesus goes from knowledge to action. Jesus was never accused of not being a lover of people. People threw all kinds of stones at Jesus, literally and figuratively. They accused him of all kinds of things and what nobody could accuse him of, of not having a love for people. And, and I wanna say this to us. There, there's right accusation that could be made maybe uniquely to you throughout the rest of your life. May it never be true that you weren't a lover of people. May that be one that not enters into people's accusations was never true of Jesus. And fortunately, it wasn't true for him that he actually came to die for people. He actually allowed a knowledge of messiness to lead him to action, actually lay it all down so that people could flourish at his expense. This is what it looks like to love God, to submit to God, to obey God, to know God, and allow that to even impact how you love people. Now, we have five values as a church. I want to shine a light on two of them. The first one is becoming, and here's what we say about that. We believe the pathway to a flourishing life is becoming more like Jesus. And so we value the process of spiritual development. We value becoming. And here's the second one. The second one's neighboring. We believe that all people are made by God and loved by God. So we value leveraging our lives for the good of the people in our neighborhoods, workplaces, and wherever we do life. We actually believe that it's a responsibility of our church to lead out in loving God and loving people. 
Those are unique ways of saying that. We wanna help you love God. We value becoming. We value the process of you learning to know God better and then stumble forward in messy obedience to him. And we also value leading us as individuals to love people, to bring good to the places that we're around, to bring good to our city and to our neighborhoods and to our schools. So we talk about it often and we're gonna continue to do that. We create systems and structures to help us accomplish this. Our strategy is about creating this. We want this for us and we want this for you. Because a loving God relationship that's thriving and growing and a love for people that's thriving and growing, this is the flourishing life. I want that for me and my family and I want that for you and your family. To be a lover of God and a lover of people and both of those together, growing and thriving and flourishing is what leads to spiritual health according to Jesus. We want that for you. Let me pray that God would create that in us. God, it is, um, it is at times, it, it feels tricky and complicated to figure out, like, what do I need to do to become healthier spiritually? And there's so many books and podcasts and content that I can consume, and there's so much good out there that will lead me into the right and healthy places, and I just thank you for the situation with the Pharisees and Jesus to give us some clarity. Like if I was gonna boil all of this down, what would I do and where would I go? Thank you for the clarity to, to love you, to be in a, a loving and growing and thriving relationship with you, but, but also in a loving and growing and thriving relationship with people, to be a lover of you and a lover of people. God, give us purpose. Allow us to not be a church or to be individuals that, that just exist. Just exist in our apartment complexes. Just exist in our workplaces. Just exist spiritually. Allow us to have purpose. To know you better. To step into obedience and to learn to love people like we love ourselves. May we be motivated and burdened to do that here this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.